0: Growing up, uh, our family's house was the house where everyone gathered for Christmas dinner. And on Christmas morning, I would see aunts and uncles and cousins that I I might not otherwise see all year. Occasionally, my uncle Donnie would come down from New Lenox, just just outside of of Joliet, Illinois. And, And once in a while, Donnie would bring guests with him to our family Christmas dinner. Donnie and his family would host foreign exchange students. And, and Donnie had friends all over the world. And I remember one year there was a, there was a cute little blonde girl from Germany that showed up for, uh, for Christmas dinner. For some reason that sticks in my mind. Uh, and then uh, there was a, another time when another gentleman came, I think from Italy. But, but they would come to our family dinners. And, and they, they would sit there at my family, at my parents' kitchen table and, and tell their stories. And, and I remember they would talk about how they celebrated Christmas in, in their own countries. They would come from faraway places with... With, their, their, with different cultures and different accents, and they would tell us about their countries, and we would, we would try to explain my father to them. Uh, and I'm not sure which was more difficult. Uh, but I remember being amazed that they were there with us for Christmas dinner, despite our differences. Whether they be cultural or, or racial or even, <laughs> even political, uh, <laughs> everyone was welcome at my parents' Christmas dinner. As we look through Matthew chapter 1, we read that long list of names in Jesus' family history. And there are some names here that we're familiar with and, and others not so much. And there's some people, we, we see their names and we know their stories. And other people, we might not know their, their stories here. You'll notice if you look through Matthew chapter 1 at that list of names that the vast majority of names are men. In fact, there are only five women listed in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. Now, the, the amazing thing isn't that there are so few women listed in the genealogy. The amazing thing is that, that they are listed at all. I don't know if you ladies know this or not, but in that culture, you, you just weren't that important for continuing a family. I don't know if you knew that or not, but... But You know, what, what was important was the name. What was important was, that, was the man. And, and so the fact that there are women listed in the genealogy tells us that they are important, that their stories are important. And there in verse 5, we read Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And if you continue into verse 6, and Jesse, the father of David. The king. Some of you are familiar with Ruth. She is a very important link in Jesus' family history. She is the great-grandmother of King David. Last week, Steve taught you about Rahab. He talked to you about Rahab. This would be Rahab's daughter-in-law. Rahab was her mother-in-law. Uh, but she's one of those people that we look at and we wonder, it, well, what's kind of awkward That she's here in this in this family. Ruth is a foreigner. Ruth is from Moab. She she comes with different customs. She comes with different clothing. She she comes with different accents. She even begins her story with different gods. And so we might ask the question: "What what is this woman doing here? But you know, Ruth's story is here for us. Ruth's story is here for everyone who has ever felt like an outsider, everyone who's ever felt like they didn't belong, everyone who's ever looked at the people around them and who they are and what they have and what their names are, and everyone who's ever felt less than, like you just didn't matter. Ruth reminds us that God's family does not draw lines that tell us who's in and who's out. God's family does not draw lines. God's family opens doors You see, God's family doesn't look like other families. And our hope doesn't look like the hope that this world offers. We're going to look at Ruth's story if you want to turn back in your Old Testament to Ruth chapter 1. It's way, way back there in your Old Testament. If In fact, if you want to use those blue Bibles in front of you, it's real easy to find in those blue Bibles. It's page 222. You can't miss it. The story of of Ruth. If you're not familiar with it, Ruth is a sweet little love story. It's only four chapters long. It's a quick read. It's it's just such a wonderful, beautiful story. You you can kind of imagine little King David, little David being bounced on his father's knee or maybe his grandfather's knee, and they're, they're telling him the family history. And they tell him about great-grandpa Boaz and, and how great-grandpa Boaz met great-grandma Ruth and how she was so pretty and, and how he, he, you know, she caught his eye and, and he, he rescued her. He saved her. He, he redeemed her as his own. But before you heard the story of Boaz, you would have to hear the story of Ruth because Ruth's story does not begin with Boaz. Ruth's story begins with a different husband. It begins with a a different mother-in-law. Ruth's story begins with tragedy. Ruth's father-in-law dies, and then her husband, a short time later, her husband dies, and and his brother dies, and so Ruth is left alone with just her sister-in-law, a woman named Orpah, and her mother-in-law, a woman named Naomi. Now you need to understand, in that culture, there was nothing more hopeless than a widow. Except a widow with no family, a widow with no father-in-law, a widow with no brother-in-law, a widow with no children. That person had no identity. That person had no name at all. But where other, and, and, and it's such a hopeless situation that her sister-in-law, Orpah, will, she will leave. She will abandon and desert them. And her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi will change. And she will become bitter. But where others see hopelessness, Ruth still sees hope. We're going to begin in Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and, and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, "No, we will not. We will return with you to your people." But Naomi said, "Turn back, my daughters. Why would you? Why would you go with me? Have I yet hus- sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. And if I should say that uh, this night, if I if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you?" Therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your, your sister-in-law is gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Now you realize you and I have the benefit of reading this story with hindsight. We know what's going to happen. Even if you've never read the story of Ruth, even if you've never read those four chapters, you know from that one verse in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, you know that by the end of the story she has a husband. His name is Boaz. She has a son. His name is Obed. And, and she becomes part of the lineage of the Messiah. You already know this is a happily ever after story, but Ruth does not know that. Naomi does not know that. In fact, in verse 12, Naomi says, I am too old to have hope. And in verse 13, she says, the hand of the Lord is against me. By every measure that a woman could have hope in that world, Ruth was hopeless. You know, hope is an elusive commodity even in our time. We may see hope differently than in Ruth's world, but but it's still a very elusive commodity. I went online, I went to Google, and I just typed in hopeless quotes in Google. I wanted to see what what kind of things people were saying about being hopeless. I found a few that just really struck me. Here's a quote I found. It says, I feel like I'm waiting for something that will never happen. Have you felt that kind of hopelessness? Another one said this, I can't pretend that I'm okay anymore. I can't fake it anymore. I'm hopeless, helpless, and I'm afraid I'll never get better. And another person said this, I'm slowly giving up. Does some of that sound familiar? Have you ever been there? What if there was, what if there was hope? even in the face of total hopelessness what if there was a hope what if there was a hope that wasn't like this world's hope what if there's a hope that we can share with each other you know think about those quotes and i wonder how many of those how many of those people aren't really hopeless how many of them are just lonely How many of them are are just lonely? How many of them need someone to come alongside them and and restore their hope? How many of them are like Naomi? You know, if you read just a couple verses down, there in verse 20, Naomi says, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The word Mara means bitter. She goes on and says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi is bitter. She is angry with God. She is very aware of what they don't have, of what they've lost. Mostly, she's aware that they are alone. How many people in our lives just need someone like Ruth to come alongside them, to commit to them? You hear Ruth's commitment there in in verses 16 and 17. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. You hear that pledge that she's making to Naomi? She says, your God shall be my God. I want you to think about that commitment just for a moment. Three verses earlier, Three verses earlier, Naomi has told Ruth, the hand of my God is against me. Three verses later, she will say, the Almighty has dealt with me bitterly. If she's only listened to Naomi, why would you commit to a God like that? Why would you make that commitment? That's not the kind of God you want to commit to. I don't think it's so much about a commitment to God as it is a commitment to Naomi. I think she's saying to Naomi, you're valuable to me and I will never leave you. But I want you to hear what that pledge also does for Ruth herself. Again, verse 16. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. She is saying, nothing I have done up to this point has worked. Anything that I thought was hope to this point has been hopelessness. Nothing I have done up to this point has worked. Any hope I thought I had didn't work out. I have nothing to lose by throwing in with you. I think, we've got, I think we've got people in our lives on both sides of that pledge. And I think some of their names are probably on this wall, this prayer wall with the names of people that we desire to see saved. People in our lives that we want to come to salvation. I think some of their names are probably on that wall. I think we've got lonely people in our lives who are bitter, and they just need someone to come alongside and say, I'm not going to leave you. Other people may have left you, but I am not going to leave you. And I think we've got hopeless people in our lives who, who have nothing left to lose, and they just need someone to come alongside and say, come with me, I know where you can find hope. Come with me, we'll do this together. And yeah, three chapters later. Three chapters later, Ruth marries Boaz. At the end of the book, she has a son. She names him Obed. We already know from Matthew's account that she is in the line of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah. But before any of that happens, it's this commitment to one person. It's this commitment to Naomi that sets this all in motion. That commitment to one person can make a huge difference. Could that one person be you? Could that one person they make a commitment to be you? Could, could that commitment be to a church, be to a, a family of believers? Because you see that, that cry of loneliness, that cry of, of hopelessness, that sense that you don't belong or, or that you are less than, that's supposed to be met with hope. Our shared hope is what makes us family. Why is a a foreign woman with no family uh, included in the lineage of the Messiah? Because we're all included in the family of God. Because God's family doesn't draw lines. It opens doors. You know, I don't think the Apostle Paul was thinking about Ruth when he wrote these words in Galatians chapter 3, but he certainly includes her. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. Now ladies, you need to understand that the sons were the ones who had the inheritance. So when he calls us all sons, he's saying, even all of us, we share the inheritance, we share the kingdom. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and you are heirs according to the promise. In every way that you can draw a line and say this person is in, that person is out, those lines melt away in the kingdom of God and they become a doorway that lets everyone in. Everything about Ruth, everything about Ruth said she was an outsider, her heritage said she was an outsider. Her accent said she's an outsider. She's from Moab. Her skin color said she was an outsider. Her gender said she was an outsider. And even her pain said, you do not belong to anyone. And yet even in her pain, she reached out to Naomi and she said, I belong to you. I don't know where you're going. I don't comprehend this God of yours, but I'm with you. And I love how the author puts it in verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. She's done. She's not going to argue with her. Yeah, I don't think that kind of determination comes until you realize that you have nothing left to lose. Among all of those quotes on hopelessness, I found this one. It said, I'm tired of feeling worthless. I'm tired of feeling hopeless. But above all, I'm tired of feeling tired. Do you get that? Have you been there? I believe there are people in our lives who are at that point, they are just tired of being tired. Some of them may be on this wall. Some of them may be in this room. And all they need is one person who will come alongside and say I'm with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. I am here with you. All they need is a place to belong. And I believe we can be that place. I believe we can be those people. I believe we can I, I believe we can love the hopelessness out of this world. I believe we can love the hopelessness out of other people. And I believe we can meet their desperation and their determination with a community of faith and with a message that there is a Savior who wants your name on His family tree. We just need to be available. We need to be welcoming. And we need to be committed to the people around us. Last Sunday, we were in Franklin, Tennessee. We worshiped with the 4th Avenue Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I've been there a few times. It's one of my favorite places to go. I love, I love 4th Avenue. We got out of our car. We parked in the visitor parking lot. And we got out of our car and Gil met us in the parking lot and shook my hand. He said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. We've got two seats saved for you. And I said, well, I hope they're together. You know, at least be somewhere close by each other. We walked in the building and Patrick saw us and Patrick, Patrick, who doesn't hug people, threw his arms around me. And Patrick threw his arms around me and he said, Welcome home. That's the greeting that they offer to visitors at at 4th Avenue. They say say, welcome home when they have visitors. It's their way of saying, Wherever you've been this week, whatever has, has hurt you, this week, whatever you have been through, whatever struggle you've experienced this week, whatever pain you've been through, whatever has, has tried to break you, that's not who you are. That's not where you live. You belong to us. Welcome home. I love that. You think we could do that? You think we could steal that from them? And just kind of adopt that as as our greeting, our kind of greeting, our kind of love? I think we can. Because, you know, when I I see Ruth, when I see a Ruth in the lineage of Jesus, when I see an an outsider who has been hurt and beat up by the world, I realize the family of God does not draw lines. It it opens doors. There's someone in your life who needs to know that. Maybe maybe you're the one that needs to know that. Someone here needs to hear those words. Welcome home. Let's stand together and pray. Father, almost every day we read news reports of some, some tragedy. And I wonder how many of those stories began as stories of hopelessness. And I wonder how many simply needed someone to come alongside and, and say, welcome home. We'll never know about those. But there are people in our lives today who are hopeless, they are lonely, they are bitter, and they, they desperately are in need of a home and so in this season when we talk so much about peace and joy let us bring some of that into the lives of others let us be the friends that they need the family that they need let us share our hope and it's in jesus name we pray amen